Welcome back, Quarantineagers. So good to be back with all of you today. Once again, I'm Rachel, and I'm here with Piper, Haley, Skylar, and today we're going to discuss the impact of COVID-19 on business. Since we are teenagers, our knowledge of the economy and business is limited, but we know that it greatly impacts our life. Yes, and although we are not necessarily knowledgeable about the stock market, we have had an informative conversation with Haley's father, Jim Bettimer, an investment manager and an active stock trader, which enlightened us about the stock market during these difficult times. When COVID hit at the end of January, we realized that there would be many U.S. cases and it could be a really big deal. There started to be talk about what we should do because it was so highly infectious and incredibly deadly. And we knew that we would have to do a lot more than we did with the flu to protect people. Yep. Basically, the number of COVID cases began to increase. And as a result, people started to be more cautious and not go out as much to bars or restaurants and travel stopped almost completely. President Trump decided not to institute any national restrictions and gave the responsibility to local and state officials. As a result, states, and in particular states with increasing hospitalization rates, placed more restrictions to reduce the spread of the virus. Because there was no restriction on travel within states, some infected people within states spread to other states, resulting in nationwide spread. Therefore, restrictions across most of the U.S. were put in place and many businesses had to shut down or reduce capacity and change their safety protocols. As a result, in the first quarter, the gross domestic product of the United States dropped 5% in January, February, and March. In the second quarter, it actually declined 34% in April, May, and June. When there are two quarters of declines, a recession is declared. So, you are revealing that the United States had a recession, and the economy was contracting as a result of the restrictions and reduced economic activity. Yes, and we have been in the process over the last few months of trying to reduce restrictions throughout the U.S., and often what happens when they are reduced too quickly or not adhered to, there is an increase in the number of cases and deaths from the virus. Yep, so it is incredibly evident that there was a spike of cases in the beginning, then a decline, and the number of cases has been increasing for the past couple weeks, but deaths have been consistently high throughout. The CDC calculated through December the number of excess deaths in the U.S., and that difference is 225,000 to 275,000 deaths higher than their expectations. They expected around 2.2 million deaths, and there have been about 10% more than the expected deaths. Wow, and can you believe that the CDC stated that COVID-19 is the third leading cause of death this year behind heart disease and cancer? Wow, that's pretty crazy, and this pandemic has had a huge impact on the stock market this year and significantly increased the volatility of the stock market. What other information do we know about the increased volatility of the stock market? Well, at the height of the pandemic, S&P 500, a market index of 500 large companies in the U.S., dropped approximately 30% in March. Yep, however, there are some companies that have actually benefited from this pandemic, such as Amazon, Netflix, and Zoom. The stock prices of their businesses have gone up significantly as more and more people use those services. So, if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying that COVID has been incredibly infectious and deadly and has resulted in so many tragic losses. In addition to the loss of life, our economy has definitely been struggling as many large companies are suffering in the stock market as it is becoming increasingly volatile and is constantly fluctuating. On the other hand, Skylar brings up the valid point that some companies have actually benefited from social distancing and stay-at-home orders. Yes, and some companies that were severely negatively impacted include airlines, cruise lines, and oil and gas companies. Companies have faced many negative and positive impacts depending on their size. 
Regardless, one of the potential positive is the significant reduction in emissions from oil and gas that happened in an incredibly short period of time. Yes, I definitely agree that the impacts have been kind of all over the place as some companies are benefiting and some are experiencing the complete opposite as they're being forced to shut down or losing a tremendous amount of business. I really do appreciate Skylar though for trying to shed some light on this terrible situation and revealing the environmental benefit. Stock prices in the market have actually come back from what their lows were and are positive for the year as people anticipate a vaccine coming out and businesses attempt to return to normal. Another thing that has helped the economy bounce back is the economic stimulus legislation that the, U that the U.S. Congress passed that provided checks to some households as well as additional unemployment insurance and support for local businesses. Now let's discuss how COVID has impacted businesses. Businesses all over the country have been impacted by the pandemic. Lots of businesses have been closed or temporarily shut down, and some larger businesses have stayed open during these times. Businesses are closing due to the loss of business because of people trying to stay inside because of COVID. Many people are sensitive about where they want to go, especially if they're going to places with larger crowds. Most places that draw larger crowds are losing lots of business. An example of a business being shut down is back on Tuesday, March 24th. Mayor Bowser of Washington, D.C. ordered the closure of non-essential businesses. In this specific order, the intent was to temporarily cease all non-essential businesses activities, including gyms, spas, massage establishments, nail salons, barber, barber shops, tattoo parlors, theaters, nightclubs, retail clothing, and other businesses. During this time, there were other similar orders being sent out across the nation. Obviously, temporarily shutting down businesses immensely hurts them. Yes, overall, you guys are all discussing that the strict at-home orders had many unprecedented consequences for businesses because they were obvi obviously lost significant, significant amounts of business. Businesses declared non-essential were almost completely shut down as a result of strict restrictions or orders across the country. A case in point, CNBC has worked with Yelp to get more data on how business closures there have been during COVID-19. Piper, what other information do we know about Yelp's businesses during these times? Well, as of August 31st, Yelp has indicated that 163,735 businesses have closed, which is a statistic for businesses that have both temporarily and permanently closed. This is a 23% increase since mid-July, and Yelp indicated that there have been 97,966 permanent closures, which is about 60% of closed businesses. Yep, Yelp has also collected data based on business hours, descriptions on apps, and other indicators that show home, local, professional, and automotive services have been able to withstand the effects of the pandemic better than other industries. To summarize, you're both bringing up the sad fact that many businesses have been forced to close, both permanently and temporarily, placing many business owners in a very bad position and endangering the livelihoods of millions of Americans. Yes, it's very upsetting that's happening, and Yelp also noted that throughout the past six months, restaurants, bars, and nightlife venues have been hit the hardest by these restrictions. Many restaurants have been limiting their dining options due to wanting to stay socially distanced and safe. With these restrictions, restaurants are closing due to the less business they're getting. Their data shows that 32,109 restaurants have closed. In retail, there have been 30,374 closed businesses. Moving on, the U.S. Chamber analyzed a survey conducted between July 9th and July 16th of 500 small businesses in the United States. This allowed for an understanding of how small businesses are impacted in dealing with COVID-19. The survey showed that 86% of businesses report that they are open in some capacity, whether that be fully or partially open. 
Services and retail companies are slightly more likely to remain closed. One in five of the businesses report applying for and re receiving the Paycheck Protection Program loan. 65% of businesses are concerned about having to close their businesses if there is a second wave and 35% report plans to increase investments in the upcoming year. I know that the Paycheck Protection Program loan helped many businesses, but when businesses are hanging by a thread for months at a time with no end to the virus in sight, it is extremely stressful for the owners and the employees. Overall, I feel that it is an incredibly stressful time for business owners right now because they need to constantly worry about possible closure or worry about being able to afford to continue running their companies. It's also very nerve-wracking to understand how many businesses are relying on the Paycheck Protection Program loan because they are struggling with finances. Yes, I think it's a very stressful time for those people, and due to many small businesses temporarily or fully closing, the larger companies and businesses are taking over. All the larger businesses have the resources and money to stay open during this time. This further neglects smaller businesses, causing them to fully shut down. Yes, in the New York Times article, big companies are starting to swallow the world. It examines how in the near future, big companies will continue to grow and become more powerful while small business competitors are facing collapse. Yes, many large companies have continued growing. Some even significantly raised their stock market value. During this time, large companies, like small companies, were also able to receive loans from the government as well. Time magazine in the article, Many Companies Won't Survive the Pandemic, Amazon will emerge stronger than ever, clearly lays out that Amazon has continued to grow throughout this year. Between May and July, consumer spending was up 60% from the same time the previous year. Wow, and COVID has definitely been beneficial from Amazon, seeing as the way they are set up entails no one leaving their house. For my family, I know that we have definitely started to order from Amazon even more than normal, which is quite a lot. Yes, I agree. The same is going on with my family too. And Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon, was able to invest $4 billion in coronavirus protection efforts, including personal protective equipment for workers. This allowed the company to follow guidelines and continue working, as other smaller companies cannot get the resources they needed. So, what I'm hearing is that powerful companies and large corporations are starting to take over and dominate the economy. They are overpowering vulnerable small businesses, harming them, but largely benefiting already powerful companies. However, some wealthy business owners and entrepreneurs, such as Jeff Bezos, have made attempts to provide help to curing the COVID-19 pandemic, and hopefully more will continue to follow in his footsteps and use their power and money to contribute. Yes, and even though the smaller businesses are struggling a lot during this time, the government and other organizations have been reaching out to these businesses to try and get them to a comfortable, a comfortable place again. A New York Times article re released in May explains how the government set up a $1.8 trillion aid to help businesses and unemployed. The money will be split into two categories. The first category is $350 billion that will be loans for small businesses. The second category is $500 billion that will be divided among airlines and companies that are critical to national security. There are some restrictions that will stop businesses from re receiving money. An instance of this is the businesses that must not cut off staffing by more than 10% through the end of September. Other rules apply, including that loans to small businesses with 500 employees or fewer are limited to $10 million. Also, loans that cover salaries of over $100,000 are not able to qualify for forgiveness. I think that we can definitely agree that the government fund is helpful. 
There are also restrictions on compensation and pay for executives, which allowed the money to be better divided to those in need. There are many other restrictions for businesses, but overall the relief fund is beneficial. So what you guys are saying is that over a million dollars in aid from the government has been split to help the businesses and unemployed as well as airlines and critical security companies. Yes, and there has also been government relief, a relief bill that has been in action since May, but over time there have been changes and negotiations to it. Politico explains how a new relief package could pass soon to help businesses across America. Speaker Nancy Peloso and Treasury and Secretary Stephen Murchin are working to deliver a new relief bill, but there has been some trouble finalizing the bill. As of October 18, 2020, the government has approved more than $3 trillion in aid, but now more money is needed to support the economy. Yes, and hopefully by the election there will be a new relief bill that will help more businesses. Yeah, and the economic recession has also led to significant increases in unemployment. Unemployment has been impacting many lives and home situations, but unemployment has increased due to smaller businesses closing and larger businesses having to cut down on staff. Overall, 43% of U.S. adults now say that they or someone in their household has lost a job or taken a cut in pay due to the outbreak, up from 33% in the latter half of March. Among lower-income adults, an even higher share, 52%, say that they or someone in their household has experienced this type of job upheaval. In addition to being among the hardest hit by the economic fallout of COVID-19, lower-income adults are less prepared to withstand a financial shock than those with higher incomes. Only about one in four, or 23%, say they have rainy day funds set aside that would cover their expenses for three months in case of an emergency, such as job loss, sickness, or an economic downturn, compared with 48% of middle income and 75% of upper income adults. In layman's terms, many people have become unemployed and have had a reduced income. Higher income families are more able to proceed through everyday life without a dramatic change in finances. While 53% of lower income adults say they will have trouble paying some of their bills this month, about a quarter of middle income adults and 11% of those in the upper income tier say the same. Only 23% of adults now rate national economic condition as excellent or good, down dramatically from 57% at the beginning of 2020. Overall, 47% of Americans say they have rainy day funds on hand that would cover their expenses for up to three months. Right, well this is the case for a majority of white adults of ages 65 and older and college graduates, it is not the norm for most other groups. For example, only about a third or fewer of black and Hispanic adults, those younger than 30 and those with no college experience say that they have this type of rainy day fund. In summary, many low-income adults are struggling significantly more than middle or high-income families to pay their bills. Also, many Americans are beginning to view our economy as much less strong than they have in previous years or earlier this year even. Also, I noticed that you mentioned that it is much less common for young people of color to have funds saved than it is for older white adults. COVID-19 spurred income cuts have led some adults to borrow or withdraw money from their retirement accounts and other savings. The Federal Reserve report reported in its July update on the economic well-being of the U.S. Households released on September 21st, 2020. California has shed over 2.6 million jobs in the pandemic early on, 
in March and April before initial initial reopening gains of 692,400 jobs in total for May and June resulted in an 11% shortfall, larger than the 8.3% gap at the height of the jobs losses over Great Recession. Employment in California's public sector is short by nearly 345,000 workers. All unemployment insurance, or UI, programs have paid out approximately $460 billion in total all across the U.S. The unemployment insurance has allowed people to have some sense of security during these unprecedented times. If we look at some statistics, during the week of July 18th, one in five workers in the U.S. benefited from some form of UI payment, while one in four workers in California have benefited from UI relief totaling to $55 billion. To summarize, many adults have been laid off of work. Unemployment has people searching for money in places such as their savings accounts that should be used for much later. Multiple jobs have been lost, and this has caused billions of dollars to go into the unemployment insurance programs. These programs are giving people some money to help with the tough situations that they are facing. Many families are struggling with income losses during this crisis, with people of color disproportionately affected. Since mid-March, 64.8% of Latinx and 55.6% percent of black households in California reported a loss of of employment income compared to just under half of white households. In addition, 17 million people filed claims for unemployment within three weeks, showing the unemployment rate is above 15 percent above the unemployment at the Great Recession. The unemployment rate for women was 14.3 percent and 11.9 percent for men in May. That is crazy. Plus, women had more unemployment because they were the majority of workers within leisure, hospitality, and educational services. Immigrants' unemployment rates were higher than the U.S.-born workers, and it rose to 15.7%. Unemployment rates are higher among people with less education. COVID has rid the world of 277 billion hours of paid work since June 30th. Yes, so to simplify all of those statistics, the people of color and immigrants in our country are being far more negatively affected than other demographics. There's also a large disparity between men and women in our country, as Piper mentioned when she said that the unemployment rate for women was 14.3% and was only 11.9% for men. Many people have had to close their stores, but we can help... We can help keep the unemployment rates down by keeping markets open, supporting farmers, helping entrepreneurs market themselves, adopt businesses to this economy, and fight for workers' rights. Yes, yes, and yes. I definitely think that it is super important for local businesses. In Santa Barbara, if we walk down State Street, it is devastating to see so many open spaces because businesses have closed, which means many people have become unemployed. Acts such as the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance, or PUA, help unemployed Californians who aren't usually eligible for unemployment insurance, such as business owners, self-employed workers, and independent contractors. The program includes up to 46 weeks of benefits from February 2nd to December 26th. I know that this has helped many people because without the assistance, people would lose their homes and other possessions. Everything that is changing all around us, many businesses have been forced to modify their business models in accordance with COVID-19 policies. Yes, in short, some of the updated strategies and recommendations for employers responding to COVID-19 include those seeking to resume normal or including those seeking to resume normal or phased business operations include conducting a hazard assessment of the workplace, encouraging employees to wear cloth face coverings in the workplace if appropriate, 
implementing policies and practices for social distancing in the workplace and improving the building ventilation systems. Yes, I believe that business operation decisions should be based on both the level of disease transmission in the community and your readiness to protect the safety and health of your employees and customers. Yes, businesses and employers are encouraged to coordinate with state and local external icons as well as health officials to obtain timely and accurate information to inform appropriate responses. Local conditions will influence the decisions that public health officials make regarding community-level strategies. Some of the other more specific methods utilized by businesses include implementing flexible work sites and work hours by rotating or staggering shifts to limit the number of employees in the workplace at the same time. They also increase physical space between people at the work site by modifying the workplace and increasing physical space between employees and customers by drive-through services and physical barriers such as partitions. Totally, and I have gone to a few outdoor restaurants. An example that I've seen of following the correct precautions is that when you are at a restaurant, someone brings your food to you and someone clears your empty dishes. Businesses have also been using signs, tape marks, and other visual cues such as decals or colored tape on the floor placed six feet apart to indicate where to stand when physical barriers are not possible. They have also closed or limited access to common areas where employees are likely to congregate and interact, prohibited handshaking, delivered services remotely via phone, video, or web, and moved the electronic payment terminal and credit card reader farther away from the cashier, if possible, to increase the distance between the customer and the cashier. To summarize, many businesses have been implementing new methods to prevent the further spread of COVID-19 and protect customer lives. I work as a tennis instructor and retail associate at the Lacumber Country Club Tennis Courts. We have to keep all of the windows open and the doors open in order to increase ventilation. Also, when I am teaching tennis, I have to wear a mask and socially distance from all of the kids. Additionally, a lot of masks and hand sanitizer are provided to the customers and the tennis players. Yes, and I'm a hostess at the restaurant Lord Fish House, and they have made lots of adjustments to their dining situations to accommodate for COVID. For example, we have a large amount of outdoor dining and only a few tables inside. All the tables are socially distanced and everyone has to wear a mask. Also, they took away the happy hour to make sure that we can save money and we also don't want to draw in large crowds. They have also shifted primary stocking activities to off-peak or after hours when possible to reduce contact with customers. Increasing ventilation rates have also been important and ensures the systems are operating properly and provide acceptable air quality for the amount of people within the building. Yeah, I personally experience this when I go to dance. My studio has built an outdoor studio so there is um, good air quality and air flow. We are currently building a new tent that is our own because it is going to be a long-term situation. We also wear masks and social distance. Businesses have also been giving employees, customers, and visitors what they need to clean their hands and cover their coughs and seizes. Are there any specifics, Piper? Yes. Businesses have been mandated to provide tissues and no-touch trash cans, provide soap and water in the workplace, and if soap and water is not readily available, use alcohol-based hand sanitizer that is at least 60% alcohol, and ensure that adequate supplies are maintained. Ideally, businesses place touchless hand sanitizer stations in multiple locations to encourage hand hygiene and place posters that encourage hand hygiene to help stop the spread at the entrance to your workplace and in other workplace areas where they are likely to be seen. This should include signs for non-English speakers as needed. Additionally, the, business, the businesses discourage handshaking and encourage employees to use other non-contact methods of greeting. 
when businesses have proper precautions and provide hand sanitizer and other hygiene products, I feel safer. Although I do hate the tequila hand sanitizer, but better that than the possibly getting the virus. To yeah. summarize, many businesses have been responsible for providing the customers and employees with proper materials for sanitation and cleanliness. Also, signs and posters up in businesses have been helpful for communicating important information to the customers about important requirements or laws. Businesses are also required to perform routine cleaning. Any more examples, Piper? Yes. Businesses routinely clean all frequently touched surfaces in the workplace, such as workstations, keyboards, telephones, handrails, and doorknobs. If surfaces are dirty, they should be cleaned using a detergent or soap and water before they are disinfected. For disinfection, most common EPA-registered household disinfectants should be effective. Businesses also discourage workers from using each other's phones, desks, offices, or other work tools and equipment, and when possible, being provided disposable disinfecting wipes so that employees can wipe down commonly used surfaces before each use. Oh yes, making sure everything is sanitized properly is very important. What other ways do businesses make sure they are being as effective as possible with their cleaning? Also, disinfectants should be stored and used in a responsible and appropriate manner according to the label, and bleach and other cleaning and disinfectant products should, be, should not be mixed together because this can cause fumes that could be very dangerous to, ble- to breathe in. What I'm hearing is that businesses have been attempting to disinfect and clean all surfaces in order to prevent the dangerous spread of this pandemic. It is definitely vital that employees are discouraged from not abiding by the policies and breaking laws. Organizations have created crisis management teams, task forces, or committees with a response tailored to specific geographic regions. These task forces meet often to develop policies and provide information to leaders, managers, and frontline employees regarding COVID-19 awareness, prevention, management, and hygiene practice. These teams are also focused on management protocols and business continuity plans to guide current actions and forecast possible responses to future events. What do these protocols and plans include? Some of these protocols include developing succession contingency plans for all major executives and conducting business using virtual, video, or audio capabilities. Travel should be restricted and critical operations should be moved to affected regions. Another plan businesses should have is cross-training team members to perform critical functions in the event of an unexpected absence or quarantine of another member. Totally. And I think it is really important that employees are trained for all the roles of their workplace, especially since rules are changing as different places move through different phases. Yes. And if an employee is diagnosed with COVID-19, many companies have established protocols such as requiring employees to report self or family confirmed cases of COVID to management. The affected are typically required to stay home for 14 days or until cleared by a doctor to return to work with confirmation that there is no diagnosis of COVID-19. To summarize, some of the policies in place for sick employees is that they are isolated, the objects they have touched are immediately disinfected, their contact with other employees, customers, and clients is traced, and they notify those who may have been exposed without releasing the diagnosed employees' names. Also, businesses ask employees to log all contact with other employees or visitors in case they become symptomatic so that others can be informed of a potential exposure. It is very important to be completely honest of your situation for the protection of others. In addition, many companies have recommended limiting personal and professional travel, and some have assured workers they could decline professional invitations without penalty. Generally called soft bans, these partial travel restrictions have been issued with requests 
to inform the business of travel and to avoid air travel, public transportation, and large gatherings, as well as 14-day self-quarantines following travel to affected areas. However, hard bans are in effect in many companies and travel to China, Italy, South Korea, Iran, Japan, Hong Kong, and Taiwan has been prohibited. Indeed, most intercontinental travel, and more recently, even travel in general, has stopped for the time being, unless it's critical. To summarize, businesses have been recommending that their employees limit any activities that may expose them to the virus. They have done so by using soft bans, which restrict travel for the employees. Hard bans are also used, in which intercontinental travel is banned. They're also assessing risks to their employees' physical and financial well-being. What do the mitigation efforts include? These efforts include instituting mandatory work-from-home or remote work policies where possible, and closing on-site facilities such as gyms and cafeterias. Companies have also been granting paid time off for employees that have been in contact or have COVID. There are more opportunities for short-term disability, sick and family leave, vacation time, and paid time off. Other efforts include recommending available employee assistance programs, reminding employees about mental health services for stress management using backup care programs, child care programs, and other dependent care benefits. On the topic of paid leave, I think it is really important for companies to offer these new paid leave times for their employees. Companies must be understanding toward the situation of others. Think about parents of young children who are still working full time. That is difficult. Last year, my sister's fourth grade teacher had to strategically plan her schedule for my sister's class time around her husband's, who is a high school teacher, because they have two preschool aged children that needed full attention. More efforts that they are instituting is that they are refraining from penalizing time off and are permitting unlimited unpaid time off without penalty. They are paying for time spent under quarantine, offering a work from home option or adjusting schedules due to school closures and are communicating employer sponsored insurance. Businesses have been advising employees to avoid public transportation and asking employees to consider alternate meal times to reduce crowds. Corporate leadership is communicating frequently to effectively address their organization's COVID-19 response, advice, policies, and protocols. Many are issuing FAQ guides, and many are including links to authorities and external organizations such as the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, the World Health Organization, John Hopkins University, and local governments, and outbreak maps. Yes, so what you're saying is that they are providing expert advice. In addition, they are delivering messages with personal elements, such as reminding workers to get information from credible organizations, assuring them that none of their fellow employees have tested positive for the virus where applicable, urging employees not to panic or spread rumors, and enduring the message has an inspirational and strategic narrative. They will also often encourage employees to obtain enough food, water, medicines, and other essentials for their families in case of quarantine or scarcity. What are some of the methods of communication delivered to leaders, managers, employees, and or clients? Some of these methods include social media for public messages, email, mail, text messages, hotlines, and internal systems to share relevant information, signs to reinforce hygiene, and screening and other organizational risk management policies. My dad works at a small retail business and has recently created a website which has immensely helped during this time. They also use social media and emails to inform their customers of the current situation. To summarize everything, COVID has resulted in significant restrictions and policies that have placed many people into lockdown. This lockdown contributed to major contractions and fluctuations in the stock market, as well as an economic recession. 
Many companies have been struggling as the stock market becomes increasingly volatile, but in some ways, the decreased economic activity has resulted in environmental benefits. Strict restrictions across the country have resulted in lost business and permanent or temporary shutdowns. Additionally, large and powerful companies are dominating the economy and taking over the smaller companies. Many people have become unemployed or suffered from decreases in wage as a result of COVID. Lower income families are struggling far more than wealthier families and Americans are viewing the economy as weak and inefficient. Finally, many policies and regulations within small and large businesses have been modified as a result of new COVID-19 restrictions. Yes, thank you for that, Haley, and thank you all so much for tuning in this week, and we hope you had a wonderful time on this journey with us. Catch you later, quarantine